I had a gun put to my head. I had some horrific things happen, right? I either could be a victim of that and continue perpetuating that cycle and not break the cycle of dysfunction in my family of origin, or I was at a point where I had a choice and free will was given to us by the creator, but most don't have free will. Warning, this episode may be triggering for some people due to aspects of trauma featured in this episode. So I have with me today, Jana Wilson, who is an emotional healing educator and founder of the Emotional Healing System. She has trained the likes of Deepak Chopra and Debbie Ford and is the author of a powerful new book called Wise Little One. It's all about her childhood trauma, mystical experiences, which guided her through life and helped her heal. Now, just before we begin, this interview was gold. I connected so well with Jana. We had a great conversation. And I believe anyone who's going through something traumatic will gain a lot from this episode. So if you haven't subscribed before, please do so, so you don't miss what's coming your way this year too. And welcome, Jana Wilson. Mm, Thank you, Paul, for having me. It's a pleasure. I am so excited to have you here. I know that we had a little chat before we pressed record about how I felt about your book. And we came up with, uh, (laughs) because it was a roller coaster for me. You know, it was, um, you got a book, it's a book, it's a little, wise little one. Uh, and I love the title. I love the cover because uh, I love Thank how you. connecting and listening, to, how important it is to connect and listen to your inner child. So I was reading your book and it's such a roller coaster. I could not put it down. And it's one of these things where I, I think, you know, get to a point where, oh, great, well, this is what's happening to you now. Blimey. And then, okay, then Jenna's safe. No, she's not. <laughs> and it just went on and on. And it was, I mean, it was obviously what the wisdom that you put into this book is absolutely fantastic. So for my listeners, can you describe what Wise Little One is about and how it came about? Yes. Thank you so much for all those glowing remarks. It is a roller coaster, right? It's, mm. you know, it's a, it's a story really about every one of us. It's a universal story because we all have an inner child and the inner child is our feeling self. And when I was a little girl, um, you know, I had two very emotionally disconnected, unintelligent parents and, um, you know, we're conditioned and, and we're learning so much now, right. That about, trauma, about intergenerational trauma, about, you know, all the facets, even precognitive and preconscious trauma, which I share in the book, which I've heard from many people. When you wrote about being in the womb and, you know, I share this story right, right away about being in the womb and my mother's, you know, has mental illness. Of course, she's under chronic stress. She's has a steady diet of cortisol and, you know, all the toxic hormones and chemicals. And I'm a fetus. I'm being fed the same thing. And um, yeah, it was it wasn't an easy childhood, clearly. Once I was able to 
at once I was older and I was able to look Paul at my childhood in a different lens, which I share in the book, a lens from being a hypnotherapist like yourself, um, you know, through hypnotherapy, being able to dive deeper into the meaning, but ultimately to look at it through the lens of what if I chose those parents? What if they were the perfect parents for me? Right. To have okay. the lessons yeah. to, to, right. To be the emotional healing teacher I am today, to give my gifts to the world. I certainly could have been a statistic. I certainly could have been, you know, another, I could have repeated and perpetuated the same dysfunction of my family of origin, but I didn't. I mean, there were times that I kind of started to go down that path and then I would course correct. Hmm. But so, uh, you know, I was a fairly young when I woke up, I was 12 and I share about it in the book, the gift of the trauma certainly was my deep connection to spiritual guidance, a deep knowingness that my soul knew my personality, my humanity did not know that I, you know, that I contracted for this experience, right? So there was a lot of suffering, but at 12 years old, under an extreme situation, it was similar to a near-death experience. I'm pulled out of my body. I'm told those are not your parents. That is not your life. This is, and I'm like one in the cosmos, feeling the most peace that I've ever felt. And that woke me up. And I think from that point, my trajectory was clear. Certainly, I was still in high school and college. I continued to create a lot of drama and melodrama and chaos, but I was, you know, it's like everything. It's never a straight line, right? It's kind of a circle. Mm. You go around a circle, you come back, you're like, okay, this isn't working, and you get back on the path. So the story needed to be told. I felt I've 19 years working with clients, sharing these stories, doing all my healing work, never ends. I'm sure you would agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's like another layer. You peel back, right? You peel back. Yeah. And then last year, I, you know, I'd been 25 years writing the stories, keeping them on a file on my laptop. And then eventually, or when I started, it was a big desktop (laughs) (laughs) and um, eventually it, it was time. My mom passed away there was a lot of closure in my life and it was time to share the stories and to share where I am today and really provide inspiration. And of course, I don't use the word hope (laughs) (laughs) because for me, hope is a beggar. If I'm the creator of my life experience, then I don't have to hope, right? I can have faith and I can trust the universe has my back. And it did. And it all fell into place. And the book I wrote in nine months, which is kind of ironic, right? Wow. You give birth to something in nine months. Yeah. I mean, so 25 years, it took nine months to write. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is quite in- incredible. And going back to the, the mystical experience just for a moment, because that's quite profound, isn't it? I mean, to be 12 and to have. The, the that level of connection with the universe where you feel like you are one with everything and you have how would you describe it like a divine mission i mean did you get a sense of you're experiencing this trauma for a reason i mean how would you process that i mean it's easy to process Absolutely. now at your age but how would you process that then right 
then, so mm. you're going to laugh at this. So, you know, I'm born in the South. I'm a Southern girl. It's Bible Belt, the U.S. You know, I, I, you know, it's the religion is very dogmatic and, and, mm. you know, fire and brimstone and made me feel scared a lot. Yet I would have these experiences where I didn't feel scared. I just felt love, infinite, immeasurable love. And mm. My parents, of course, weren't role models, yet these pre people bring you into the world. We look at them as gods and goddesses. You know, they are our creator, right? But mm -hmm. then I, it, I, I was wise enough at a young age, wise little one, to realize they didn't have the answers. And so I lived in an imaginary world through disassociating with my, you know, situations, all the trauma. And when I had that experience, I began to, I heard somewhere that being born again, and this is Christian terminology, being a born again Christian is like, you know, every day sleeping on clean sheets. Now, as a child, <laughs> that's so silly. I wanted to wash my sheets every day. I wanted cleanliness. Oh, I wanted a new beginning, yeah. a new start. So I was driving my mother crazy. She was like, we can't afford the water and what are you doing? And we can't afford the detergent and you can't wash your. And of course, I was trying to explain what happened to me, to her. But in my 12 year old little mind, I didn't know how to explain. I just knew I was having conversations with God way before Neil Donald Walsh wrote the book Conversations with yes, God. Yes, yeah. The famous books. Right. And. And I was getting downloads and I was very clear that what was happening in my internal world, no one knew. At 12, to be able to perceive that my inner world, it's kind of like, you know, in Man's Search for Meaning, where Viktor Frankl talks about mm. the one freedom that we all have is this freedom of the thoughts we choose and where we're placing our attention and what's happening internally, right? Yeah, I certainly wasn't in the Holocaust, but in my own way, I was in a war zone with my family, right? Yeah. So I began to create this internal world, and that's all I knew. I didn't know that one day I was going to grow up and do this. I certainly had, you know, kind of a um, center of attention, like to tell stories, like to live in kind of a fantasy world. But it was not until I was a teenager, like around 19, and I was away at school, that I started to wake up to mem remembering what had happened seven years earlier, which, you know, in that time yeah. frame from 12 to 19, seven years is nothing to us as adults. No, but, but when you're a child, you. that's like a huge, a long yeah. time. And so it started to come back really strong. And that's when I started to have the, the thoughts and the mentors would show up on my path. And, you know, I share about it in the book. Yeah. And, and just to, cause I, I will ask this question. Cause I guess some, some people might be thinking this, you know, your domestic experiences. I mean, some skeptics might, might say that might've been a way of you protecting yourself. Um, how would you, what would you say about that? If anyone was doubting your experience, what you, you know, you went through, you know, when you're teenage years. In protecting myself in what? 
disassociating yeah yeah, disassociating creating creating you know because you said you're good at stories and creating your own world I mean has has anyone ever questioned I know they did because you were brought up in a in in a quiet Christian um sort of environment um but yet your experiences are completely different they're they're very deeply spiritual so I'm, I'm wondering were there any influences or you know were there anyone questioning Oh, you know, what you experienced and yeah. No one questioned what I experienced because I didn't share it with anyone other than maybe my mother. I was trying to share. Now, my mother, you know, is a very complex, as we all are, wabi-sabi, perfectly imperfect mother, right? She had mental illness. There was chaos. But, you know, it's really this human experience, the human condition, you know, it's the two truths, mm. light and dark, right? She was crazy and she was sane. She was divine and she was diabolical. She was a saint and she was a sinner. She had, you know, and she was a Gemini to boot. So she definitely had the multiple personality, the duality. But my mom, you know, because she would go into hospitals back then, they called it a nervous breakdown. And when mom would go into hospitals, Paul, they did electroconvulsive therapy. It was many Mm -hmm. years later. I had a lot of shame about that because of course in my family and extended family and community, anyone who knew about that one flew over the cuckoo's nest, right? Like it was. Yeah. So, but my mom would come back. It was many years later when I was working at the Chopra center, when Dr. Simon, who's a neurologist, Deepak Chopra's partner said to me, I was sharing him with this story and I started to shake because I still somatically was holding all that shame in my body around my mother and how I grew up with this mentally ill mother who had shock treatment. He said, I'm curious, Jana, how would she come back after? And I said, Oh, she would be reading Raymond Moody and, you know, near death experiences. And so a lot of that was already being put into my consciousness as a child. Yeah. And it was like a, a knowingness kind of. And if you look at it mm. from a reincarnationist perspective, it would make sense that that was the perfect recipe for me to have this mentally ill mother who goes through this electroshock treatment, goes into a higher state of consciousness for a short time. She wasn't able to sustain it because her environment didn't change. So she mm. would pour into me. She, Paul, you know, when, when, I don't know if you know, you probably do, but when patients go into psych wards, they'll do art therapy and different types of therapeutic stuff with them, right? Well, my mom would do art and she would come back. And one of the things that she had done was a crochet of a, of a eight by 10 hanging on the wall. And it said, today is the beginning of the rest of your life. And I remember it would, you know, she had a lot of these kind of sayings and I would be like, no, I'm eight years old. Today's (laughs) not the beginning. Like the beginning was eight years ago, you know, and she would, you know, really help me to look at things deeper. And then, of course, she would start to go back into her unconscious behavior. And but for me, I was in a higher state, right, because she had downloaded all this into me. So I truly believe that um, I've had a reading before that I'm an old soul, chose those parents. The experience was exactly what I need. Of course, I had people who, as I began this path, I have no contact to answer your question with any Hmm. extended family members. I still have contact with my brother 
It's limited. He's very fundamentalist Christian. They think that I'm of the devil. I'm woo woo. I'm, you know, so it's, I really had to divorce them because yes, they think I'm, you know, out there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was, I'm wondering, you know, what the journey was like for you with that sort of, with your, you know, Christian background, and yet you're experiencing something which is going against, you know, your sort of, you know, the culture that you're being brought up in. And and going back to, you know, what you believe about yourself and, you know, what you've, ex- why you've experienced your trauma as a child. Do some people find that offensive as in regards to, do you ever get people coming up who are going through trauma and are resistant to, oh, no, I didn't choose this. Why would I choose this? This is quite hellish. You know, like, you know, like, again, why would you choose what you went through? So could you open up a little bit about that? Because right. I guess people listening, they'd be, what, what, what will you say? <laughs> you know, well, we live in a very mysterious universe right now. You and I mm. are talking on technology that, you know, in the very recent past wasn't even available to us. It was there. We didn't know it. We live, we're on a rock flying 70,000 miles and meat coated skeletons, <laughs> right? Like through this mysterious universe that we, yeah. you know, it, we must learn to live in the unknown and the mystery. And I certainly mm. can be certain sometimes about everything's a mystery, which is also collapsing that I'm certain this is the truth. I'm yeah. not certain that reincarnation exists. Nobody is. We don't know what happens when we die. Here's the, here's what I began to, to ask myself. If I accept a reincarnationist perspective, which isn't taught in the West, right? It's readily accepted in the East, you know, Mm -hmm. in most places around the world, reincarnation isn't questioned. And we certainly have enough evidence. If you start to go down that rabbit hole, they're going to find evidence of children having memories of, you know, who they were in a past life and parents taking them to people who were still alive and then being able to validate the child and everything that they're saying. So here's where I go to. I ask a client, if you, if your creator, do you believe your creator wants you to feel at peace and free? right? Liberation. Yeah. Yeah. And they always say yes. Mm -hmm. And I say, okay, then if you view something that happened to you, I was raped. I was molested as a child. I had a gun put to my head. I had some horrific things happen, right? I either could be a victim of that and continue perpetuating that cycle and not break the cycle of dysfunction in my family of origin, or I was at a point where I had a choice and free will was given to us by the creator, but most don't have free will because when we're conditioned in our past and we're reactionary and we're, you know, just re, you know, it's expecting the same, doing the same thing, expecting different results, right? The definition of insanity So that's not free will. Free will says, oh, I'm conscious and aware enough that I have a choice right now. I can view myself as a victim of something happening to me, or I can view it as this might be happening for me. And at a young age, I don't know why, Paul, I had that awareness. I don't know why. Maybe I brought it in from a past life. Certainly when I read my teacher, Dr. Brian Weiss's book, Many Lives, Many Masters, it woke me up. Mm 
because then I was able to view myself. Yes. From empowerment. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, how would I look at myself if I said, what kind of person, what kind of soul would choose a mentally ill mother, uh, you know, an addict father who's abusive and abused me and my family? Well, oh, she must be pretty strong. She picked up her karmic lessons. Mm. She got busy about taking care of it. Karma is action, right? We It's what you sow, you reap. Instead of being a victim, I said, oh, well, I just paid my debt. In this universal accounting system of debits and credits, I just paid debits and I'm paying it off and paying it off. Every time I ask the question, what is the lesson this is teaching me? Not woe is me or I'm a victim. There is a lesson here for me. And, and it was a game changer. So to answer your question, when I work with clients who I do interviews in private work, the interview process lasts an hour to hour and a half. And one of the first questions I ask is, what is your spiritual practice? Because I practice psycho-spirituality, psychology combined with spirituality, mm-hmm. science combined with mysticism, right? Not just approaching, yeah. it's a more holistic approach, right? Like you are. Yeah. So I um, ask them, are you open to reincarnation? Now, if they say, yes, I'm open, I don't really understand much about it. I'm open. And I explain to them because often when we've had extreme trauma, it's the best way to view the trauma through that lens so we can get the lesson and let go of the story, the limiting story. Right. And get the lesson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If they say, no, it's against my religion. I'm not. And I just say mm. very, you know, I'm not the teacher for you no, because I, it's going to challenge you too much. Hmm. Yeah. So. I think that's um, I think that's really beautiful, and I also think it's very powerful because it, again, it's I guess it's it's a, it's a shame that it's that they're not the they're not the teacher for them. I think they've learned so much from you in regard to changing the narrative of why they're experiencing what they've experienced. It's you know, but again, it's often people have a different path to take, don't they? Um, what would and you it's say? Soul age yeah. too, yeah. Paul. It's soul age. You know, there, we always talk about old souls, but you know, there's teachings that are telling us there's infant souls on this planet. Why aren't you and I in, you know, your men? Why were you born in the UK and me in the U S what, what made us privileged? Why aren't we starving and dying at a young age? Why aren't we like, because we're not infant souls, infants deal with survival, baby souls, Babies have stranger danger. They seek to make everyone in America, we would say kind of the Midwest, you know, the South, these Bible Belt, these people that this is the way and the one way. And if you don't go this way, you're dying and going to hell and you're bad. You know, this is a baby soul, Mm. a soul that needs to be told what to believe, a soul that needs to. Then you have young souls. America's a young soul country, materialism, looking young, you know, you're somebody I'm out to get something from. Um, it's toxic capitalism. Then you go to, you know, mature souls, mature souls are very relationship oriented. They're here to grow and learn. And then old souls are here to make a difference. They're visionaries. Mm. So there's all these soul ages. So if I'm talking to a baby soul 
it doesn't mean my I'm higher than them or I'm more evolved than them or I'm I'm more conscious about something than they are. So can I talk to my seven-year-old grandson about these quantum physics? Of course not. He doesn't understand, right? Just a quick break to say I am so excited to announce a brand new podcast channel to help you transform your life in ways you might not yet be able to imagine. 2023, we are kicking your ass. Now, this is a channel of experimental content I know you are going to love. Now, Mindset Change Another Level has exclusive deeper subconscious training meditations to help you upgrade your long overdue programs that are holding you back in life. You also get searchable meditations without ads, intros and outros, so you can find your favorites super easily. You get access to masterminds to help take your mindset change to another level, and you get to engage with me in a whole new way. And as a thank you for supporting the new channel, you get discounts from my group workshops too. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes and come and join. Oh, and feel free to come and join my WhatsApp community too. I can't wait to welcome you. Again, it's not a hierarchy of better than, less than. It's everybody's at their own conscious level and you have to meet them where they're at. And I'm at a place in my career where I choose not to try to, you know, work with somebody who I'm going to be beating my head up against the wall, trying to help them. Yeah. And I get that. I've become, I work very differently to how I work with clients in my past. Now it's, I I really have an idea of the type of person that I want to work with. And it reminds, um, just going back to what you were saying um, about the, you know, old souls and and waking up and what you've been through. I interviewed uh, Steve Taylor, who wrote the book Waking Up uh, recently. Uh, Amazing guy. And he was talking about that. um, And he wasn't talking about an old soul sense, but he was talking about how trauma and crisis tend to wake us up. And it, mm-hmm. we reach into ourselves and we realize that we have more powerful, we have resources, we, we learn so much and gain so much from this awakening mm-hmm. experience. And it sounds like, you know, from what you've been through, you know, you've had a huge awakening experience, which then becomes a gift. Like I've, I've had, you know, a lot of people who listen to my show know that I've been through quite a lot of trauma. And from that, you know, it's, I'm just so grateful that I've experienced all of that. And I'm very, you know, I've connected with my younger self and I know how, how bad it was for them at times, but also at the same time, it's, but look at what we're doing now. Um, they would never have guessed that I would have reached and, had, and connected with millions of people through, through my work. Um, and so I'm, I'm grateful that my traumas led to this, as well as I'm guessing you must be quite grateful that your trauma has led you to. I wouldn't change be able any of it. Yeah, I would go yeah. over and do it all again if yeah. it <laughs> led me to this point in time. Yeah. And that's when you know you've really extracted the lessons and the healing. When yeah. you look back on your life and you say, "It was all a part of this recipe." You know, imagine that you're opening up a recipe book and it's recipes of humans, and you know, it's like take you know. 18 years of childhood trauma mixed with two emotionally, un, you know, healthy 
parents and throw in a rape and throw in, you know, a single mom for seven years and, and then a marriage that's, you know, passionless, but it's, you know, it's a good relationship because my ex-husband and I had a good relationship and you kind of mix it all and then throw it in the oven and bake it for 57 years. And voila, you have Jana, emotional healing educator, you know, it's like, it's our recipe. It is. And so, so anyone listening to this who is going through a tough time, not sure what to do with their trauma, you know, because it is easy. Well, I wouldn't say it's easy and that's the wrong word, but we put these blinkers up to try and ignore what we've been through in our past so that we can just cope with day-to-day living or we don't know what to do Mm. in regards to our history. What would you advise? Well, you know, if they're brand new starting or if they're in crisis, you mean, or Mm. yeah, they're they're ready to take that first step. First step to people who need to take the first step. I think, you know, emotional intelligence is something that is so lacking in our school systems. It's lacking in the, the conversation that we're having in the collective consciousness. It's starting to get, you know, more prevalent with conversations like you and I are having. And, you know, certainly there's the positive light side of social media that it's bringing this to the forefront, the memes and everything. So it gets people understanding you know, so emotional intelligence has four skills. Self-awareness is foundational. So I would say to someone who's just beginning on the path, strengthen your foundation. Because a lot of people spiritual bypass, they go right up to, you know, and they're not really doing the deeper root cause work. And root cause work is like what you and I are doing, where we're to have supporting clients to go back to childhood to look at, you know, experiences and incidences and things that happen to them and the meaning they assign to it, the false beliefs, the narratives, that work is so crucial. Um, But say you don't have someone who has the resources to be able to even afford someone to be able, Mm -hmm. you know, to do that, then self-awareness is foundational emotional intelligence. So, you know, there's tons of apps of learning how to meditate, sitting in stillness and silence, learning how to calm the nervous system, to get coherent, because most people are living in stress response and stress is created by thought alone. So they're just having a thought and all of a sudden the body is reacting like you're about to get mauled by a bear, Mm. right? We've got to learn to manage that and to master that internal dialogue You know, I always teach, I have a lot of like one-liners that clients are like, you need to do a book Mm -hmm. of all your like little quotes that you do. But one is your most valuable asset is your attention. Yeah. And because our attention is like fertilizer, whatever we place it on, it grows. And so people, most people don't understand how important that is, that you have mastery over your attention. Where are you putting it? On some, you know unforeseen future of, you know, worst case scenarios? Are you still living in the past, the prison that's over and rehashing it, therefore perpetuating it and living it again in this moment? And so I think the first place to start is to learn to be a master of the mind, not a slave to it. Well, I'm with you on that as a mindset coach. (laughs) That's my my forte. And it's, it's interesting, isn't it, how 
because um, I'm going to ask you in a minute about healing modalities, which do you think would be the most effective? But I think there needs to be a discipline with anything that we're training ourselves in. You know, you can't go to the gym and expect yourself just to do a few sessions. You start to get a bit of toning. So you're like, oh, this is quite good. And then just stop without your body beginning to just lose that shape and definition and health. Um, so I think it needs to be a discipline that is, you know, mindset training practiced on a regular basis. Um so I know that so you are you have an emotional healing system and I know that you obviously teach. What's the one what's the one thing if you if, if you were to say to anyone, this is the one thing that you you could do that would transform your world and help you heal, what would it be? At first I have to just hug you virtually that you use the word discipline. Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> every person I have worked with and myself yeah. included for a long time, I would say I'm not disciplined. And mm. then I realized I'm weaving this story that I'm not disciplined. So therefore I lack discipline. So where in my life am I disciplined? And I began to see, oh, I'm disciplined in, you know, say my money and finances, or I'm disciplined that there were certain areas of my life. I wasn't disciplined, but I, I had validation and recognition to myself that I was disciplined in certain areas. So therefore, if I could be disciplined in those areas, then I could use that same belief that I could be disciplined in spiritual practice, whether, you know, whatever it was. And so that's really what we're talking about is this mm. spiritual practice. What's the one thing, but discipline means three different things. If you look it up, it's higher yeah. education. It's doing something to improve yourself, right? Like what we're talking about, yeah. or it means punishment. Now for me and my background, discipline was a four letter word. Discipline was, uh, I was disciplined mm. all the time. I was beaten with a belt. I was put on restriction. I was I was majorly disciplined. I hated the word discipline and I hated <laughs> discipline. Yeah. I'm a free spirit. I'm not disciplined. But then I realized happiness is my birthright, but it's going to take discipline and it's going to take work. It's not handed to me on yeah. a silver platter. And and the the one thing, Paul, and I know you'll agree, we are totally simpatico on this, mm -hmm. is the, the thing... I'm about to lead a retreat in Florida for a week. Every participant that comes, I'll have this conversation with them and I'll say, there's going to be an 80-20 rule, right? The Pareto principle. 80% of you are not going to be disciplined to take this work and go back and do everything that we tell you to do every day. Mm. I literally give people in my workbook a daily practice so they know what to do when they wake up till when they go to sleep. And if they do okay. it, I tell them for 21 days, you'll create a habit. And you just stay steadfast with it. But if you're not a disciplined person and you tell yourself you're not a disciplined person, then you won't do it. And it's going to take discipline. And, you know, so discipline is huge. So the one thing I would say to somebody that is the key is RPM. And one of my teachers, David G, he's a meditation teacher. He, he was the head of the Chopra Center when I worked there and trained. He gave yeah. me a glowing review for Wise Little One. Oh, Wonderful. He's written two well books, deserved. Sacred Powers. Yeah. and Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Secrets of Meditation. And he taught me RPM. What's RPM? Very technical term. Let me tell yeah, you what, what it means. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. Tell me. <laughs> rise. Rise. Yeah. P. Meditate. Okay. 
<laughs> okay. Get up, empty that. your bladder. Yes. Yeah. And sit. Okay. Don't get on your phone. Don't have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Don't do anything. Yep. This is spiritual hygiene. This is more important than brushing your teeth, than taking a shower. If you knew how important it was to clean, cleanse your consciousness, to clear mm-hmm. yourself so that as you go throughout the day, as you know, as a meditation teacher, yeah, yeah. it's not what happens. We're sitting on the mat, right? On the Zafu. It happens as we go throughout the day. We catch the thought. Oh, I'm stinking thinking again. Oh my God, I'm terrorizing my little child. Oh, let me take a deep breath and come back and offer up Mm. some gratitude for this beautiful day. We begin to master where the mind is. So here's what I tell students. The point of meditation is to become aware when you're lost in thought. And they're like, oh, I thought you weren't supposed to think. I'm like, that's impossible. (laughs) It's impossible. The brain's a thought producing organ, right? Exactly. Yeah. So just become aware, lost back, lost back and be a good surfer. (laughs) I love that analogy. Yeah. Because people say to me, oh, meditation and they roll their eyes. And if there's anyone listening to this, who's rolling their eyes, oh, they're mentioning the N word again. It's so important. And, <laughs> and you're right. You, you can't, you can't switch off your brain. When, I, when clients mention that to me, I said, well, that's called death or a coma, isn't it? So let's do exactly. something where you're learning to just become aware as a consciousness of your experience. And let's just see what begins to pop yes. up in your experience. You know, whether it's yes. thoughts, whether it's sound, whether it's whatever. It's great to experience. And I had a client the other day who said this beautifully. They were like, okay, so I've been doing this meditation with you for 30 days. And it feels like my problems are really over there somewhere. Instead of me reacting to them, I get to choose how I respond. And I thought it was so beautifully said that they, they were uh, gesturing to their problems. It's, oh, it's just right over there. They created here. space. Yeah, That's absolutely. what it's doing, space. Yeah. Eckhart Tolle, I'm doing a training with Eckhart right now on teacher of presence. And he's, you know, he's been in my life for about, I don't know, 18 years. You know, once he really came on the scene, I felt very resonant with Eckhart. And he said to me once, Jana, your mind's like a a overcrowded living room. You got to create some space. Right. Like get rid of some of the furniture. And that's what she's telling you. The problems are over there because she now created space so she can view them and not react to them and respond, as you said. Yeah, and that, that's such a powerful thing to do. So, Because I'm a big believer in if you can relax your nervous system enough and, and help regulate it, so it becomes, move from dysregulation to regulation, then it becomes easier yeah. to focus on training the mind and also working on, on trauma issues. Because otherwise, if you're in that constant state of fight or flight, trying to work on something is really difficult, really difficult. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And HeartMath, you're familiar with the HeartMath Institute yeah, Heart here Math. in the U.S.? Yeah, 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 yeah. So you yeah. talked so about I coherence earlier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so I've, I'm a HeartMath facilitator. And in 2008, I found the HeartMath. And at that time, I was like, oh, that's so simple. Like... Mm. You know, once you're on this path long enough, you realize it's all simple. If somebody's trying to make it too complicated, get the hell away from them fast, right? It's like, that doesn't work. But heart math, it's this simple, you know, during a retreat, we'll, my husband and I, about every hour, hour and a half, or when we feel, we'll have everybody just stop and get coherent. 
And it's just that simple heart focused breath, about four or five seconds on the in and out, mm. just gaining composure, the heart sending all these signals to the brain. Now my cognition's clear. I can think. I have access to the unified field. I can have a creative thought that I wouldn't have had if I was incoherent, right? Yeah, so yes, creating yeah. coherent, being able to regulate your emotions, everything. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you know, a year ago, I never heard of heart math and it was interesting. I was training uh, with a group of people in how to do uh, Zoom, you know, really, really great Zoom workshops. And there was all these heart math uh, facilitators there and they were leading us through these heart math exercises. And they're beautiful, really lovely. To, I didn't know the heart had so many neurons and that it was sending all this information to the brain. I was just like, what? Yeah. 5,000 yeah. times stronger than the cranium. The heart field, when you're coherent mm. and you're really feeling renewable feelings like gratitude and appreciation and compassion and love, your heart, your field, that's why we feel it when we get around people. It's the auric field, right? It's about three, yeah. four feet around the body. And then you feel people's vibe. You feel if they're incoherent, you're like, oh, you know, I don't, it doesn't feel good to be around them. It's mm. palpable. Plants feel it. Animals feel it. Sentient beings feel it, right? Our energy. And um, yeah, the heart, once you realize, and think about all the great avatars, all the great ones, Jesus, Buddha, all pointing to the heart, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, Moving on to just the trauma side of things just for a moment. Uh, I could talk about all these subjects for such a long time with you. We'd have like a four hour episode. <laughs> so like, I'm, coming, I'm, like, to, I'm like, coming across the pond to hang out with you, Paul. <laughs> uh, yeah, please do. Please do. Um, I want to ask you about what, are, you know, because obviously there's so much knowledge here. What are we getting wrong about trauma? What do you wish was said more often? So trauma is really an interpretation of something that happens to us. Mm. I'll give you an example. Like I was working with a client and she's like 42 years old, had a great childhood. You know, my parents are still married. She said to me in our interview, she's like, I can't put my finger on. It. I, I, I experienced no adverse childhood trauma yet. I have this everything. I have this loving husband, my kids, but there's something lacking, right? There's this, this kind of like gaping hole that I feel can never get filled. And I said, okay, you know, and I've had that happen a lot with clients, but she really stands out. So when she comes out to do a retreat, one of her reoccurring complaints when I'm really doing the intake form and everything was, I feel like um, my feelings don't matter. Now there's a big disconnect. Number one was spirit with her, which I think is the existential crisis that we're seeing in the world with um, people not knowing who they are. When we go mm -hmm. back 6,000 years to the, the Vedas and which is what my teachings are in my trainings in the clashes, which means poison. The reason why humans suffer. Number one reason is we don't know the nature of true reality that we think we're separate from the creator, that we're not one with the creator. Mm. And so um, this idea that I am my gender, my nationality, my religion, my personality traits, my that's not who I am. You know, I to use the words of one of my teachers, Deepak, he would say, you know, you are, you know, um, 
you are the operator of the nervous system. You are not the nervous system, mm-hmm. right? You are the yeah, one that's, that's using it. You are the conscious. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no it, it just reminds me of, I was listening to, I love what you just said. I was listening to Robin Wright, who wrote the book, uh, Why Buddhism is True, this morning. And he was talking exactly about that. And he was talking about how he had an injury and how he just looked at it as in the body has the injury. But me, <laughs> you know, that my consciousness yeah. can completely dis- dis- not disassociate injured. from. Yeah, and, and from that disassociation, right. it changed the experience completely. Exactly. Mm. And, and so this is, you know, so this client comes, we go through hypnotherapy. She's five years old on a vacation. The memory that comes, her inner child shows her she's standing on the banks of a lake. Now lakes are murky. She had only swam in a pool. So she was frightened. And she said to her parents, you know, mom and dad, I I don't want to go in and I'm crying. She's crying and please don't make me go in. And they're like, it's fine. It's fine. They don't listen to her and respect her wishes. Mm. And they force her in the water in that moment was a trauma for her. And the trauma became my feelings don't matter. And I don't know what's best for me. Others do. So of course she set her psyche up to attract relationships, people, experiences, circumstances, conditions to mirror back to her, her feelings didn't matter. And she continued to do that. And so here she is in her midlife crisis going, why am I not happy? So archetypes of childhood trauma can be parents who don't see or hear us, right? Parents who don't validate our feelings, parents who They're well-meaning, but let's face it again, we're not taught emotional intelligence in school. Um, Parents who live vicariously through us, like the stage parent or the sports parent or parents who um, can't regulate their emotions like we were talking about, lose Mm -hmm. their temper. Parents uh, who can't model good boundaries, you know, talk about the other parent or overshare with the child or these are all traumas. And so I feel like you know, the big T traumas are what's get the attention. So the people who are silently going around going, I'm miserable. Like Emerson said, most people live lives of quiet desperation. William James, the philosopher said, there's two types of people, the once born and twice born. Once borns, you know, when the soul pokes its head out of half lived life says, you know, go back to sleep, you know, like I got to conform to what society says and what my parents want and what, you know, I can't listen to that deeper urge of my soul saying mend my life. I've got to do what's expected of me. And they live a mis. they go to their death. You know, Paulo Cello, I probably butchering his name, the alchemist, the author, the Brazilian author. yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a beautiful documentary called Power of the Heart. You've got to watch it. It's on Gaia. Okay. Yeah, you know, okay, the app, Gaia, G-A-I-A. Yeah, yeah. Watch yeah. it, Paul. You'll love it. He says in it, do you want me to tell you what your heaven or your hell is? He says, I will tell you one day when you're on your deathbed, there will be a little girl or a little boy standing there. And if you know them, that will be your heaven. But if you don't, that is your hell. Ooh. Ooh. That's giving me goosebumps. Yeah, it makes me a little emotional because, you know, my 
I mean, I wrote this book to inspire people to say, well, what is my inner child? I want to know them. I want to be intimate with myself and love myself and see my beauty. And like Rumi said, by God, when you see the beauty of yourself, you'll fall down in awe. If we had more people falling down in awe authentically, imagine how different the world would be. Well, that's what I think, because I'm an eternal optimist, you see. I think the world is exactly as it's meant to be right now. And I, and I think it's going through that because I think our parents have passed to us this mantle of, well, they've passed to us their trauma. And we have the power to begin to say, okay, then I'm not going to pass this on. I'm going to do my best not to pass this on. And so... Cycle breakers. In, yeah, like, it's like we're filters. It's like, thanks, parents. It's like passing the relay. Thank you for that. Um, but I'm not going to pass this on to the people that are around me. So... By healing myself, I get to do less harm to other people around me. So in a way, it's we, by taking on mm. the discipline and the responsibility of, well, if I work on myself, then I get to, it's like a ripple effect in the pond, isn't it? Every person I touch will be affected by who I become. So I'm a big believer that we're always in the right place at the right time in the right circumstances. It's just our perception sometimes that Absolutely. says that we're not. Yeah. I think, too, there's a, a misconception of, of the understanding of selfishness and self-responsibility. Mm-hmm. I think that people that aren't conscious of the work that we're doing can view words of falling in love with yourself as selfishness, as narcissism. Yeah. You know, the, the Greek mythology fe- saw his reflection and fell in love. Mm-hmm. And this gets thrown around a lot. Oh, they have narcissistic personality disorder or they're a narcissist. Listen, that's a pretty big diagnosis, right? Mm -hmm. Selfish people ask you to show up for them and do for them. And when you don't, they call you selfish. Self-responsible people say, I am responsible for whatever's showing up in my world and the buck stops here. I'm going to yeah. take responsibility for my feelings of happiness and my feelings of pain and suffering, right? It's yeah. nobody else's responsibility. And that creates conscious relationships. So now if you and I are in a relationship and you say or do something that upsets me, I would never say to you, Paul, you hurt my feelings. That's unconscious. I would mm. say, Paul, when you said or did this, what was your intent? And then you may say, oh, and explain to me and I say, okay, because, you know, I had a story going on. Mm. I had a story that you was thinking this about me and I was getting upset and offended and, and I was creating a whole narrative about it. And I thought I should just ask him what was his intent, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. But we're not taught that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, it's, I think that's a, it's a nice thing to come to a close on as I think that's, I think that's a a good, nice reflection for people to think about and take away with them besides the amount of gold that has, you know, come from our conversation. Uh, Jana, where can people contact you? Because honestly, this has been such a great conversation. And I think there are lots of people listening that are thinking, okay, well, I want to know about these retreats. I want to know more about this book. What is it that Jenna has to offer? So where can they find out more about you? Thank you so much, Paul. Uh, JannaWilson.com is the author website with the book. Mm. And Amazon, of course, you can purchase the book. And it's available distribution worldwide. 
uh, at all retailers, even mom and pop, they can order it. So bookstores, I like to support local, you know, not all mm. the billionaires of the world with their conglomerate, you know, their <laughs> share of lion's share of the, and then emotional healing retreats.com is my business. The emotional healing system mm. that I certainly compiled. I didn't create. This is wisdom that goes back. Like I said, 6,000 years. I just, I just distilled what I felt was relevant for someone to fully heal from the foundation all the way mm. to the top. So it's meditation, just to give you the idea, it's learning shadow work, psychosynthesis, learning, reparenting, how to relate with emotions like a child. And then the icing on the cake is, of course, there's forgiveness work and stuff, but the icing is envisioning just like I did from the time I was a child, I share in the book, seeing your future, living in it before it's happened with gratitude and excitement, engaging all your senses in that ideal future, because each and every one of you who are listening to this deserve everything your heart longs for. Uh, do you know what? That's just made my heart sing. I love a bit of future self-work. Um, I think it's so very, so incredibly powerful. You cannot underestimate the power of connecting with your future self, especially with a sense of gratitude. Absolutely, Jenna, mm -hmm. thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, thank you. You know, and good luck with the book. I, you know, it, it deserves to be a bestseller. And uh, if you're going to read it, prepare yourself for a roller coaster of a ride. That's what I say. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Want to say thank you so much for joining me and Jana for this powerful interview on trauma. I hope it's given you some new insights and maybe new ways of thinking about something that you may have experienced. Please do support Jana by buying her brilliant book, Wise Little One, and also check her out on Instagram. Again, the links are in the bio, the show notes. If you do need any help with any trauma or mindset coaching, you have our details, so please do reach out. Uh, again, thank you for listening and I hope you have the most incredible day. Mm -hmm.